0: Today's episode is sponsored by March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. As part of their annual observation of this day, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. Join the conversation about World Birth Defects Day by following hashtag best for you, best for baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash BSIC. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Ashley Shepard, a self-taught culinary creator. She began her meal prep journey as a way to save time and energy, but ended up finding a calling helping moms across the globe by reclaiming their time during mealtime. We are thrilled to have her share her birth story along with her work and recent book launch. Hello, Ashley. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Ashley, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Of course, yes. So I am based in the Atlanta area. Um, I am a teacher by trade and also a mealtime strategist. And so I help, and my name under that is Chef Ashley Shep. And I help busy moms get dinner done faster with quick, easy, and tasty meals. Um, I have a almost, I was going to say almost two, but no, he's, he's about one and a half year old, William. And then um, my husband and I have been married for about five years.
0: Uh well, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy?
1: Yeah, so I I guess I'll go back. I don't know how well this is the place to get deep. So okay, we'll look. <laughs> Okay, so um my husband and I we decided we wanted to wait a couple years before we got pregnant just because we're both millennials and so dealing with like student loan debt and trying to save money for house, all that jazz. So we um didn't start trying until about three or four years into being married. And um, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, you've been avoiding trying to get pregnant all your life. And then now that you want to get pregnant, you're like, oh, this should be super easy. Like, I mean, everything's working properly. What's the deal? So, (laughs) um, but it took us about six months um, to conceive and my pregnancy was literally wonderful. Like I didn't have any symptom that I had lasted max a day or two. Um, I wasn't super, super active. I mean, I just walking, I, I didn't do any like extreme sports or anything like that, but um, I'm a generally healthy eater. I do like ice cream. That's my, my kryptonite. but, um, and I did a lot of just praying over my son um, while he was in my stomach. That was kind of my mantra each morning was, um, I prayed that he was healthy, happy. He would be healthy, happy, and a light to others. And, um, so I pretty much had a, a very easy pregnancy. And so other women would come up to me as we all kind of do and like, oh you're going to get so big, or, oh, you're, this is going to happen here, when I was pregnant, this, and so I would just do the nod and smile, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, or they would be like, oh, aren't you so tired, because I worked up until the day before he was born, and at that point, he was two days late, so <laughs> um, at my job, they were like, why are you still here, um, <laughs> type kind of mantra, or type kind of thing, and I had heard that staying active and walking around and doing that kind of thing would help pregnancy along and so I felt fine around till like 10 30 that day and then it, um my assistant principal was like all right you need to go because you have the look the um pregnancy look but or the the delivery look but overall um it was pregnancy was fine I would do that again however many times without any issues um And then it was a good time to have like a connection um, with my son and feel him grow and things like that and respond to different foods and just have that um, unique oneness, I
2: guess. Ashley, how did you prepare for your birth? And were they things that you were thinking of in advance or they just kind of came along? So
1: I'm somebody who's like an over planner and you you can do that for pregnancy and and birth, but really the baby's going to do whatever the baby wants to do. So... (laughs) Um, I had research doctors, things like that, to make sure I was getting the best care. Um, in Georgia, we have some of the worst, I think it might be the worst, um, infant and maternal mortality rates in the country. And so as, um, a black woman, you have, that's something you just have to be concerned about in the United States, unfortunately. And so it was important that I had a black doctor, um, a black OBGYN, which I did. And then her substitute was also black and not coming from a place of, of having of assuming that other people are racist but just looking at the the results in the data that seems to be the only thing that's a commonality as to why we're dying is because like beyond socioeconomic status beyond education levels it's literally just our skin and so i didn't want to have to worry about that on top of um on top of trying to push a baby out so (laughs) um so that was definitely my first way to prepare um as i said i'm a personal chef and so for me, just making sure I always had a variety of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, healthy things. I was already eating those things anyway. Um, And just making sure mentally I was prayed up. I'm a Christian. And so making sure that I had positive energy around me. Um, my husband created three different playlists for us for um, labor. I also made my separate playlist because his we, did, we didn't have the same, we were not on the same page. <laughs> with that he's from Atlanta like he's one of the rare people that are actually from Atlanta and so he had some things on there like salt and pepper push it was on there I was like this is not this is funny to you but it's not funny to me so anyway (laughs) I had um a I had like a mellow playlist for like the part where before like the ring of fire happens and then I had like a medium playlist and then like a faster playlist like for when it was time to push Um, We made sure our bags were packed. We had two separate bags, one in my husband's trunk, one in my trunk, just to make sure baby clothes in both of them. Um, At the time, we were staying with my mom. And so she was in a position where she could just leave work and come meet me at the hospital. And so I felt very prepared and very kind of in control, quote unquote, of the situation um, leading into the delivery. And so that is something that gives me a level of calmness and peace, um, which isn't always a good thing because I'm clearly not in control. But um, for me, personally, it helps me to feel more calm to be able to be more prepared.
0: Tell us about your birth.
1: Okay, so all that planning basically went out the window. Um, <laughs> my okay, so I was so at work, I was two days overdue. And then the next day, so I had been having contractions all throughout that night. Um, I was sitting on those, uh, that like exercise ball, the bouncy ball, um, sitting on that to kind of help, uh, the attract, the contractions would be, they weren't quite an hour apart throughout the night, but it would maybe be like every two hours and it would be every hour and they would kind of get closer and then kind of spread apart. And my mom, I'm one of three kids and her births from start to finish were four hours. And so, I was like, okay, well, that's going to be me. Like, okay, perfect. We can get this baby out in no time. I can do that. And so I just was not anxious, but I was just thinking, okay, once it actually starts, like it'll be quick. And so the next morning, I'm just casually, my husband and I slept in separate beds that night because we were staying at my mom's house because she lived closer to the hospital. She was like 10 minutes away. And we were like, all right, this is going to be our last night of like good sleep. (laughs) So we're going to sleep separate. And um, because I was having contractions, they weren't like super strong. So I didn't, I I wanted him to get some good rest because I needed him to be on when we got to the hospital. And so um, the next morning I'm like going to go brush my teeth. And then I'm like, all right, well still having contractions. I'll just have like a casual day. And then my water breaks. And so um, I go and wake my husband up and he like jumps up, gets out of bed. He's like, okay, let's go. I'm like, okay, we can have breakfast. You can take a shower. Like we're going to be at the hospital for a couple days. And so the contractions weren't getting super close um, at that point. And we were 10 minutes away. So I was like, we can at least have some of the comforts of here just because I had heard stories about being in the hospital and being uncomfortable there um, since it's not like your home environment. Um, and so we did that. And so he like made me breakfast and we packed up and stuff. And so I get he drops me off at the door, and I get there, and then um, it's still kind of a calm environment. Nobody's really there in the waiting room. I tell them, hey, my water broke, and like, okay. So um, we get in the room, and um, this is all before this is before my mom came. So we get in the room, they kind of get me admitted, things like that, and I meet my nurse. And so they get me hooked up to the IVs, things like that. And so at this point, it's like nine o'clock. So I'm thinking, all right, we'll have this baby out by lunchtime. I can eat go back to my cold cuts that I was not eating and things like that. <laughs> um, so time passes and, oh, okay. So when I get there, I'm two centimeters dilated. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so time passes, I'm just kind of playing that slower playlist, keeping things calm. My mom shows up and she's all giddy because I'm the youngest and um, I'm the first kid that ha- has had a kid that lived close to her. So this is like her first grandkid that she just gets to like smother fluff. And so she's all besides herself. And so it's just her and my, my husband in the room. Um, and so time is passing and then I don't remember the time exactly, but time passed into the afternoon. It's past my, my expected um, time when the baby's supposed to be here. And at that point, <laughs> I'm like four centimeters. So we're making some progress. And so I'm just kind of keeping it casual. They're still letting me eat. I haven't done any, any medicine at that point. Um, the contractions are, are getting stronger, but it's not something I can't handle. And so around like four o'clock, um, the nurse is like, okay, you're eight centimeters. And so I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and get that epidural because I believe in Jesus and science. And so I don't want it to be too late, even though my doctor had said that she was okay with giving it to me, um, later on, as long as the baby hadn't descended too far. And so to me, I'm like, well, I don't know how far it's too far and I don't know how long it's going to take them. So I'll just go ahead and get it. And and I waited that long because I was like, okay, well, I only have a few centimeters left to go. Later, my doctor shows up and she's like, you're not eight centimeters, you're five. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm five? The, the nurse told me like that I was eight. What do you mean? And she was like, yeah, no, I've checked you multiple times and you're not eight centimeters, you're five. And so apparently the nurse's hands were small. And so she couldn't actually check the way that she needed to check. And so at that point, I'm like, <laughs> Okay, so I wish I would have waited. <laughs> I wish I would have known that. So I wouldn't have gotten the epidural, because I know that it can slow down birth, um, the birth process. And so I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. I'll still stay positive. Um, and I was just kind of trying trying to stay serene at that point, because I couldn't feel any pain anymore. Um, and actually let me backtrack. So when I got my epidural, it was a black male doctor. And that was a funny experience because they always try to tell you when you get shots they I was like, oh, I mean, you're just gonna feel a little pinch. That was not a little pinch. You were trying to not move <laughs> while you're having contractions and they're like, all right, so hold still. You're gonna feel a little stink. No, the needle is huge and it is painful and I need you to hurry up and do this. And so, but he was cool, um, but yes. Okay, so flash forward, um, probably like five o'clock is when my doctor came. And so I wasn't really progressing and they said, okay, well, let's try some different things. So they um, tried a few procedures where they turned me on my side. So they turned me on one side, lift one leg up for a few minutes and then do that the same, but the opposite on the other side, that wasn't really doing anything. Um, I did appreciate that my doctor wanted to try the least invasive measure. So she didn't want to do any extra medicine or things like that, unless it was necessary. And so as time passes, six, seven o'clock, still not progressing. And so she was like, okay, well, do you want to try Pitocin? And I had heard stories about Pitocin. Um, and my desire to not have to have a C-section was stronger than my desire or than my worry about Pitocin. So I was like, well, let's try it. I mean, I would rather do that than than have to have a C-section because I had heard just horror stories about C-sections. Um, and I'm thinking, I mean, my mom had all her kids vaginally. I don't like. I follow the same plan because they always tell you, you look to the history of your mother to see how you're going to have your babies. Um, And so we tried the Pitocin and I think the max that they can put you on is like 20 or 40. I can't remember which one, but I was on like two and they said my uterus was contracting every minute and I still was not dilating properly. Um So uh, my doctor closer to like nine o'clock eight, nine o'clock, she was like, I mean, I think we might need to start considering a C-section just because your water's already broken. It's been 12 hours. And really the definition of labor according to her is active progress. And I wasn't progressing. I hadn't progressed since like four o'clock that day. And at this point it's four hours later. The baby was fine. My levels, my liquid levels were decreasing um, in terms of the amniotic fluid. But I mean, he was fine. He was chilling. He wasn't, He's the most chill baby. And so and I was fine. I didn't have any issues or anything like that. But the essentially the measures that they could try because I had an epidural, like I couldn't get up and walk around. I couldn't do the bouncing ball at that point. So it was like we were kind of limited on the options. And so um, I just wanted to have the safest. I just wanted to have the safest option for both of us. Um, one of my good friends, that assistant principal who told me to go home that day, she's actually uh, my sorority sister, and she had had two sections. And so she's the one that was like, I would not wish that pain on anyone. <laughs> um, but of course, she's she's fine now. And so I was like, okay, well, I trust my doctor, and I trust the people around me, and I know God's got me. And so we went ahead and did a C-section. And the surgery was fine. I wanted to look. They didn't have a mirror or anything like that for me to look. They had the curtain up, so I couldn't watch. So I had to give my husband a pep talk of, I need you to record this. I need you to take all these pictures because I cannot see anything. And he's somebody who's not trying to see blood or is kind of squeamish, but he he manned up and, and figured it out and did it. And so <laughs> um, that part was fine. I didn't have any anxiety about the actual surgery. I did have some shaking, which they said was totally normal due to the... Um, Anesthesia from it. But um, within that, also, everyone was just very supportive. One of the, I don't know his position, but one of the guys was like, Oh, she did a really great job on your incision. You're going to be able to wear a bikini in no time. And so (laughs) um, I just felt very calm and very chill in that environment. Um, And so they brought him over, and he looked all like puffy, like they do when they first come out. Um, And he was totally fine. He had the highest score on the APGAR scale. I think that's what it's called the APGAR scale. Um, and my husband did skin to skin first. And I did that because obviously he's been chilling with me for 10 months. So he's fine. We're going to have that bond. But I did want him to have a strong connection with my husband. Um, just because I had heard other stories of, and not that the baby shouldn't be attached to the mom because you should, but I also wanted him to have an equal attachment to my husband. And so he held him first. And, um, while they were stitching me up and he went and like, went with, my son while they were doing whatever they needed to do and checking on him and stuff like that. Um, And then I did later. And um, overall, that part was, I was still kind of drugged up. So I didn't necessarily feel any of the pain. Um, The pain didn't really come until the recovery part. So we're in the hospital for about three days. And the first day when they make you get up and walk around, it was, I felt like I had been hit by a car, um, essentially. <laughs> like, I would imagine that's what it would feel like. And they did a good job with ma- with making managing my pain. Um, and so that, I do appreciate the doctors and nurses there. They would check on you continuously. They did an excellent job with that. They would check on him. Um, but trying to get out of the bed was probably one of the hardest things, just because literally when you have a C-section, your abs are cut. And so anything hurts, like breathing, laughing, talking didn't hurt, but like turning any kind of direction, you don't really realize how much you use your core to do everything. And so anytime my, my baby needed to eat, I'd have to have my husband pick him up out of the little um, bassinet that they put them in to hand him to me. Um, and so that was a little hard, but I, I mean, that was something I expected if it was vaginally either, it's just, it was going to be hard the first couple of days or first couple hours. And so Um, that part, I was just kind of like tucking through. And so I'm like, okay, I've got my meds. I'm good. And then they gradually decrease you off the meds. So I was on fentanyl at one point and then um, high prescription Motrin or something like that. Um, The whole thing of like going to the bathroom the first time, everybody also makes that like a huge deal. (laughs) For me, I was more so scared, but it was fine. Like it wasn't something I, I didn't have like pain with it. It was more so just the pain in my stomach decreasing. It wasn't like I had issues there and that's probably because I had a C-section, but, um, I also made sure I took the stool softeners because everybody said, take those. So I made sure that was happening. Um, but in terms of, um, leaving, that was kind of the part where it got really hard. So during our last day there, we were packing up, they always say, take all the stuff in the room. And so my husband was packing all the stuff up and, um, my, the time we were supposed to leave, as new parents, we're like, oh, we don't want to wake him up. Like he just took a nap. Like, how long is he supposed to be sleeping? He slept for like five hours the first, like the last day we were at the hospital. And so we're like, should we wake him up? Should we let him sleep? Do we get in the car? So we were like waiting around too long. They had discharged me, taken out my staples and all that. Um and my medicine lapsed. So I had a lapse where they had given me a prescription, but I had already used a prescription that They'd give me a prescription to feel like at the pharmacy, but the one that they had already given me to physically take, the time was up. And when I tell you that it felt like someone had stabbed me in the stomach, literally that is the feeling. And you also have coughing sometimes when you have abdominal surgery because there's air trapped inside of your stomach. And so you have this this fear of like, I, am, I have to cough because I cannot help it. But this coughing is going to feel like literally someone's stabbing me. And so there was a moment where... We were getting in the car and i just like screamed at my mom and my husband because they were like trying to coach me through and i was like both of you just stop like just stop (laughs) because you're not helping me this hurts and i can't i can't do anything about it like just because they were trying to like oh we'll put your leg up i can't lift my legs right now because that hurts like i can't get out of this wheelchair to get in the car because everything hurts and i don't have any medicine right now and so um i was able to get them to give me some before i left the hospital but of course it took time to get into my system So um, I did apologize to both of them, but I was definitely in tears and just overwhelmed of like, I literally, I can't even get in the car. Like I can't even sit down. How am I supposed to take care of this newborn when I can't take care of myself? So that was kind of difficult. Um, After that, we get home and then you have this realization that like, oh, we have a baby now and there's no one here with us (laughs) um, to help with the baby. Um, My mom had to go back to work. And so she came by a couple of times that week, but for the most part, it was just my husband and I he got two weeks off and so we'd spent three of those days at the hospital. And so the rest of the time um, he was home. that was super helpful. We slept downstairs because I couldn't walk up and down the stairs because of my C-section except for one time a day. So I would save that for coming up to take a shower. And that was like my time of like a break and relaxation and just to kind of get away and have some me time. But um, we have a love seat and then a, a, a sofa bed. And so he slept on the sofa bed. I slept on the love seat. And I had like a little station with me, which I would recommend to all new moms, um, to get like a little cart, a rolling cart with your medicine, your headphones, um, a book, whatever kind of stuff you need if you're nursing, that kind of stuff, and just have that really available. And that was a huge help. I had set that up before because I'm a planner, like we talked about. And um, so that was, that was helpful to have. I had diapers on it, stuff for the baby, snacks for me, things like that. Um, and so that was good. And then also because from the chef's side, I had made um, 22 what are called make-ahead freezer meals. And so essentially it's the concept of you season, chop everything ahead of time. I don't cook mine ahead of time because it changes the chemical composition more times than necessary, but some people do cook theirs ahead of time and then just reheat them. I made mine so that they could be thrown in a crock pot, instant pot, or like one pan on the stove. So my husband's learning how to use our instant pot pressure cooker while I'm holding the baby on the couch and I'm pushing him through it. And literally all he has to do is dump the food in, in the pot, but um doing it a certain amount of setting. Because <laughs> some settings you have to do a little differently. So he learned how to use it then. Um, so that was a huge help and helped me not have to worry about food because we had food for the first two months we were home. Um, and if I had not done that, I think that I probably would have had postpartum depression just because cooking is like my thing. And so already not being able to, I was dealing with shame from not being able to have my baby vaginally, which nobody necessarily put that shame on me. That was just my preconceived notion that this is what was going to happen. It was my plan and it didn't happen. And then I also had trouble breastfeeding. And so while at the hospital, the lactation consultant did come, but every time she would come, he had just eaten. And so the timing just wasn't really right to get help with that. Um, I tried nipple shields, I tried hand expressing, they gave me a pump at the hospital. Um, and that also was another thing that was just very heavy on me because once again, my mom had breastfed all of the, well, she breastfed my brother and I, my sister, she didn't know the benefits of it, um, she's the oldest. And so, and, it, and just from outside looking in, everybody makes it seem like it's so easy and it's so natural because it is a natural thing, but it's not easy. And the whole idea of like okay well why aren't you able to do this like your body not once but twice has decided to abandon you <laughs> and so it just was something that was very difficult for me and I, I feel like I had a lot of um not just not, prescri- not prescribed where not diagnosed postpartum anxiety but I feel like it was the beginning stages of that and definitely baby blues um I felt guilty for feeling upset that I couldn't do these things because I was perfectly healthy. My son was perfectly healthy and I had friends who had terrible birth experiences and terrible pregnancies. And so I didn't feel like I was in a position to complain about something like breastfeeding or having to have a C-section because there's people who almost died having their babies. And so that felt like I was being, it felt kind of selfish when like my son was super, he's the chillest person, like he was an angel baby. And I didn't have any complications from my C-section. I had a perfect pregnancy. And so it just felt out of place for me to to have those feelings. But at the same time, I had those feelings. And so um, I did have some appointments with a lactation consultant, but I just did um, video ones. I didn't necessarily do in-person ones. But looking back, like with my next pregnancy, that is something I will try a little bit harder with. But at the same time, I won't feel that same pressure or that same judgment but the same can't think of the word I'm thinking of but mommy brain at its finest I won't I won't carry that weight with me into the next one I did end up pumping um which is a whole another job in and of itself like if you are a mom that pumps god bless you because that is literally you might as well just have a second baby at that point because you have to have enough food for them to have for the current feeding and then you have to have something for the next feeding you have to feed them but you have to change them all while being attached to a pump and then start that over again in like an hour and a half. Um, and so that was also a super trying experience. I did pump for the first six months. Um, but even with that, like I, I was having issues getting quote unquote, what I thought was enough milk. And so I did end up supplementing um, with formula. And that was a whole nother thing of like oh, formula. Like, and once again, if you're a formula mom your baby's fed, whatever, it's fine. There's plenty of people that were fed with formula and they're fine adults. Um, but the shame that comes with that, like there is in the mommy world, there is shame and there is comparison of like, Oh, did you breastfeed? How long did you breastfeed for? It becomes like a contest. And not that any people were doing this to me. Thankfully, I had a very supportive um, community, but at the same time, it's just one of those things where it's just there. And you have these expectations of this is what it was supposed to be. And now this is what it is. And coming to that realization of those two things was just very hard, um, for me, And I think that if I would have spent less time being concerned about those expectations, then I would have been able to be a happier mom earlier on. And so that kind of lasted for about the first like five, six weeks. Um, I had, of course, the whole normal like, oh, I'm crying for no reason, hormonal thing. And um, my husband was super supportive, but then I felt like I was a crazy person because I was crying for no reason. And not that anything's wrong with crying, but it's like, it's just one of those things where you don't feel like yourself when you first have a baby, at least for me, I didn't feel like myself. Um, My body was different. My mind was not cooperating with me. And it was like, I don't normally feel like this. And I don't want to feel like this, but I can't necessarily stop myself from feeling like this. And um, I didn't end up doing therapy, but I ended up... um, Listening to praise and worship music, talking to other moms, texting them all hours of the night because they were up to. Um, and they would just tell me, like, you're normal, this is fine, you're not crazy, it's okay.
0: And um, and then I
1: also ended up writing a book, which ended up being therapeutic as well.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that, all the feels, <laughs> the whole, all of it, because it's all necessary to hear. And I'm just um hearing from your experience, like all the weights that you were Mm -hmm. carrying on your shoulder. And I think about the images, the language, um, the representation of what motherhood and birth looks like that we're constantly given, um, that sometimes it doesn't actually match the spectrum of what all those experiences look like. Yes, birth is a natural thing that happens. Yes, feeding our baby is a natural thing that happens, but everybody's experience is different and being able to hear that variety and that there is this spectrum of what it all looks like, I think can allow people to kind of sit with, one, it's not going to be, um, no matter how much we plan, And I know like we try to tell people, it's not a plan, it's your birth preferences, because (laughs) there's more flexibility in that goals, (laughs) things you want to, you know, you know, have your, your, uh, I will not stray away from this for certain things, but that it is, um, it is guided by, you know, body and baby, Yeah, you know, as much as in our heads, we want things to be a certain way. Like you said, we don't actually have control, but I think being able to hear a variety, see a variety of experiences, we then can say, well, that was still a valid experience. That was still um, a wonderful experience or that is a possibility of what this can look like instead of holding on to what I think has been created in our mind of like this picture perfect way that things are supposed to go. And sometimes things are messy. Sometimes things are... Completely different from what we've imagined. Um, Yeah,
1: I totally agree with that. And I, to me, I thought I was prepared before in that aspect. I thought that I had asked enough people, I talked to enough folks, read enough blogs, that kind of stuff to kind of know the things. And not that I didn't know a C-section was an option, but kind of like marriage, you can't really explain it to somebody unless they've like been in it. Like the amount of selflessness, and same thing with being a mother. Until you're a mother, you don't really understand what it's like to be a mother. You can see it, and you can envision but like the amount of sacrifice and the amount of things that that you go through you can't really describe that to anyone and so same thing with birth like it's I can tell you about it but until you feel it and you experience it it's not gonna be the same
2: um, an important aspect of that is just kind of how Laurel was saying about language, um, how we talk about birth and how we talk about those early stages of being a new parent. And a lot of times, because as old as breastfeeding is, it's like a newer thing that people are actually trying to encourage more. And so we often are saying, do you plan to breastfeed? Are you breastfeeding versus how are you feeding your baby? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And knowing that those conversations can switch based on what you say versus us imposing what we think you should be doing by asking the question that way, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and not knowing anybody's history when we ask it. I don't know if you are, you know, a survivor of sexual abuse and that doesn't feel like an option for you, right? Right. Um, Or like there's so many different things that go along with that. And we have to start, pausing and thinking about what's the best way to ask or is it even any of my business (laughs) right that's another thing why do people why are people
1: so concerned with even before you get pregnant that's a whole nother thing I'm like when are you gonna have a baby why do you care what is happening in my bedroom like are you gonna pay for this child are you gonna babysit this child and so at one point I started asking for donations when people would ask me so when are you all gonna have a baby well, we are accepting donations for the daycare fund, so if you'd like to contribute, let me know. And a few people give me money, um, but then others they just change the conversation. But yes, that's totally true. Um, it just and I don't think I don't think people mean it in a negative way, or they mean to be nosy. Some of them do, they do, um, but <laughs> the majority I don't think they do. But they really don't think about infertility is a huge issue for folks. They could be trying right now, or they just don't want to talk to you about it. They could have had a miscarriage, and they could be very scared to to have that conversation with you. And so I, I do agree with the language of that, that it isn't necessary for us to kind of insert ourselves into that conversation, unless it's something that that person has come to us about. And so I always tell that to um, other new mommy friends that I have, like, you really don't have to tell them anything. You don't have to tell them what you're doing with your child, because it's your child. So,
2: Right. And then there's the other side is that men are having these same conversations, Um but really, not getting as much attention to it either, right? Like, so there's these future dads that are like, maybe she's breastfeeding, maybe she's not. They're I'm like, just, I don't know, whatever she wants to. Do. I'm just here, right? Or when it comes to fertility issues, right? And it is very private and personal, and men take offense to it too.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially if it's something that could be not their fault, but could be something that is they are the reason why um, there's infertility with that, but. Yeah. I thankfully have a very supportive husband. Um, we've been on the same page in terms of the pregnancy process and he's, um, he was able to come to some of my appointments for it as well. And just like seeing him, seeing him realize that he's going to be a dad because dad's figured out later. They don't, they don't have to deal with any of the pregnancy symptoms themselves. They don't really, it doesn't really become real to them until they either see the baby on the, um, sonogram or the baby comes out. And so, um, that process has definitely made me love him more just the way that he fathers and the way that he parents and the way he supports both of us. So thankful
0: for him. So from that, you birthed a book, um, the new mom thoughts, keepsake journal. So can you tell us about the birth of your book, how you hope and envision it to support other birthing parents?
1: Absolutely. So in my state of postpartum, not depression, but postpartum anxiety, baby blues, things like that. I was looking for resources um, on Amazon or really anywhere like books or journals that could really support me in that time to just get all these thoughts out of my head. Like, cause I was at the state where I was like, okay, I have all these things. I know I'm not crazy. And even if you feel like you're crazy, you're not. Um, I just had all these things that I just didn't want to have in my head anymore. And I needed to write them down. And so I was looking for something like that. And everything that I found for new moms was either only about the baby or it was like super sarcastic and snarky and had curse words all over it. And it just really kind of had a negative viewpoint of the mommy experience. And it's not that I had a negative viewpoint. I just was like, I don't want to feel like this anymore and I need to do something about it. And so I had just taken a, um, an online challenge with this group called Six Figure Success Selling Secrets and um it's a facebook group and so the author, the owner of the group is an author who's sold almost 300,000 copies of her books through amazon and in bookstores and things like that and so she teaches other people how to do the same and so she had just had a journal writing challenge in december i want to say so this was 3 months before I wrote the book and so mind you this time this is also the start of the pandemic start of covid and school had just ended abruptly because we didn't really know all the kind of ramifications so there's a lot of unknown my son was now home with me um, because daycares were closed things like that and so it's just kind of an unknown time period I had realized I went back to work too soon Um, I did he was born in October end of October I went back to work in January and it was one of those things where once again you don't know what it's like until you actually are in it And so I was at work and I was like, I am not ready to be here, but here I am and (laughs) I can't leave because I don't have any more maternity leave. And I also don't want to have to explain to people why I left again, because it was already like, I came back at the, I'm I'm a teacher. And so I came back at the um, start of the semester where everybody else came back. So it was just like, oh, everybody's back from break. And then like, oh, well, you're back too. Um, To try to make that a little easier. And kind of normalize the experience for me and so I realized I went back too early and so in my mind I'm thinking okay well I just got to make it to spring break just got to make it to summer break and then I can spend more time with my son because that was the part I I had gone back too soon and was separate from him going from spending all day with your child to now you only get to spend the two to three hours that they're awake after work in between bath time and he would sleep for 30 to 45 minutes of that because he was exhausted um and so during that time, I'm looking for resources, looking for things, and I just don't find anything that really fits. And so, having done the journal writing challenge, and then transitioning to being home, I was like, okay, well, I was still working. We did online school. Um, I thought, okay, well, maybe I could just write it myself. Maybe I could make a guided journal of thing questions that I would like to have answered because I have all the answers already because they're in my head. <laughs> so kind of just reverse engineering it to the point of where. Um, if there was a book that was made for me, what would it look like? If there was a book for moms, it was their first time being a mom, they had all of these thoughts in their head and they didn't know what to do with them, what would that look like? And so the book is a series of 52 questions for each week of your child's first year to take you from week one to year one. And it also has places for you to kind of just journal and express general thoughts as well. And there are um uh, and I'll show you all, there are milestone pages. So for example, At the end of each um, baby month, there's an inspiration page. So there'll be like a positive quote. And then there's a check-in place for you to write your baby's update. So like what the baby can do, foods they like, things they don't like, their stats and stuff like that. And so I did think it was important to include the monthly stats because that's also a big thing when you're a mom, when you go to the doctor, they always do the height, the weight, they tell you the percentiles and all that jazz. And then that's another thing for you to stress about like, did they gain their weight back? And are they in the right percentile? And so I did want to include that because I didn't want it to be totally exclusionary of the child, because clearly you're a mom because of the child. But I didn't want the book to focus on the baby, because after you become a mom, that's all the focus is. It's taken off of you. It was on you during pregnancy. Everyone's checking on you sometimes too much. And you're like, I'm not I'm, I'm still able to do what everything I need to do. Like, unless I ask you for help, I don't need you to, to check on me 15 million times for that. Cause some stuff people would be like, Oh, why are you doing this? Like you're pregnant. I'm still, I'm still an adult. I'm still capable <laughs> of doing certain things. So, um, but after you have the baby, the shift is totally on the baby and it's kind of like you're forgotten about. And so to me, the book is a space for moms to have their self-care because that is so rare once you have a, a baby Because you're just kind of going through the motions, you're in survival mode. And it's a place to really just remember that you're important and to remember that you have a place in this baby's life, even though clearly you do, but sometimes you forget, like, oh, I'm just the milk maker or I'm just the supplier of your diaper changing and things like that. And so for me, writing the book was therapeutic because I was able to not only answer the questions, but also. While I was coming up with the questions, I shared them with other mommy friends and had them give their feedback to say, is this something that would have helped you when you were, when you had your child or now that you do have yours? Is this something that you think would be beneficial? And they were able to give some tips and things like that to just make it a better work for anybody who finds it.
0: I love that. And I'm thinking about tying you back to that point where you were talking about just feeling like after getting home and just kind of feeling out of your body in a little bit, just like out of yourself. Um, And as someone who I think journaling is beautiful and fantastic, but I am the worst at like getting it started because I'm like, I'm not a like dear journal person. Like that's just not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's not my thing. But I know that journaling would have been so helpful in those beginning um, weeks and mm-hmm. months. So having something like this where like you do get to kind of tap into your own thoughts. Um,
2: just is wonderful. Thank it's you. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. I think having the prompts are always helpful. And then also, seeing it written by someone else validates what you were already thinking or feeling, and you feel more comfortable to write it out, right, or say it out loud. These things that we hold inside, right? The judgment,
1: right? And that was one of the biggest things because there were certain stuff, there were certain things that I didn't want to say to another mom because once again, I was like, oh, I don't want to sound like I don't want them to think I'm, I don't want them to think that I'm not well, which I wasn't necessarily completely well, but there's certain stuff you just have in your head. You're like, I can't say that out loud. And so (laughs) it's a place to just get it out of your head and to really just acknowledge and validate those kind of things. So like some of the questions, um, are like, what's your number one worry about your baby? And as a new parent, you have 50 million worries about your child. And so getting that out and getting it into, like you said, into written word is super helpful because with any kind of thing like that, if you leave it in your head, it can consume you. And so not that that worry is not still there, but you're able to at least address it. You're able to, to kind of rationalize and say, okay, is this really a worry that I do actually need to worry about? Or is this something that I'm just kind of being a little bit over, I'm overreacting or I'm overwhelmed. And so this feels out of control for me. Um, and then some of the prompts are just like a direction. So just like describe what motherhood is to you. Because just like you said earlier, Laurel, motherhood could be very different to different people. And that's totally fine. And so putting it on paper and, and kind of memorializing it and capturing that is something that can not only make you feel empowered, but also make you realize just how much you've been through and how
2: strong you are from that experience. So Ashley, how can listeners find or purchase your book and connect with you?
1: Okay, so the book is called New Mom Thoughts, Real Questions for Moms with Real Feelings, and it's available on Amazon. Barnes and Noble, and in Walmart. And so they can search on any of those platforms and get it. And then if they would like to connect with me on the food side, if you're a mama trying to feed your children, which you probably are, um, (laughs) I am Chef Ashley Shep, S-H-E-P, on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram. My website is just just (laughs) ChefAshleyShep.com. And I help with finding really quick ways to get dinner done faster because, especially if you have new ones, new little ones you don't have time so I make things that are simple I don't write 15 paragraph blog posts for my mom's before the recipe because they told me they don't read those and I don't read them either now, that's
2: so industry right <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it is
2: to the recipe <laughs> no, like, oh, be scrolling. free rolling right
1: <laughs> yes where's the and part so, right and now some blogs have a little button that says scroll to the recipe and I'm like thank you because I don't And I would whisper that because in the food industry, that's like a huge thing to write this huge blog post. Um, But I'm like, I don't don't have time for that. And my moms that I work with, they just want to see a video. So I do lots of videos. I'll do tutorials. Um, I'll do classes where I teach people how to meal plan and meal prep and stuff like that, but not prep in a way that's like perfectly Instagram worthy containers where everything is portioned out for the week. I do more family style prep because that's more realistic. It takes less time. Um, it gives you more flexibility when you're kind of on um, um, running around crazy with your kids. So yes, you can find me on any platform at Chef Ashley Shep.
0: We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. I'm about to click follow Chef <laughs> Ashley Shep <Chef laughs> <Thank> tonight.
2: <you. laughs> I already started <laughs> it. Was like we're friends.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> and I act just like this on all of my platforms. So this is not like- a show I'm very chill and very like real because I feel like there's no point point. and right now with a newborn I'm not going to remember who I was if I was acting fake I don't have the mental capacity for that so I just keep it just keep it all the way real it's Like like the-
2: <laughs> love it that's just, what we love this is who we are we're here <laughs>
1: <laughs> right <laughs> no time for fake
0: is there anything else that you want to share with listeners resources advice anything else from your birth your book
1: Yeah, so I would say to moms, a few things that would have helped me. um, Don't feel like you have to do it all. And this is whether your kid is little, whether your kid's older, like I said, I'm a teacher. And um, one thing that I notice is that parents are very overwhelmed and that's gonna happen naturally just as a result of having kids because they come with a lot. But at the same time, especially as moms, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that that is totally from us. No one's necessarily putting this pressure on us. And when you do that, it creates a situation where you have this, this bar that you need to meet that a lot of times is unattainable because it's an imaginary bar that you put for yourself. And so I would say really kind of be selective with your energy and with your time in terms of the things that you're investing in Um, that's one thing that people always ask me like how do you do it all how do you how are you still working full-time how are you a chef how do you have a newborn you're married and I'm like it's because I don't do certain things I don't give energy to things that are draining I don't watch a lot of tv Um, I have a few shows like This Is Us is my jam and then Law & Order SVU those are pretty much the only shows I watch and then if my husband wants to watch something I'll watch it with him but other than that I'm not spending time on other shows because for me I could either be listening to a podcast, I could be spending time with my son, I could not be spending the mental energy trying to figure out why these people broke up or got back together because I don't even know them and I don't care. So (laughs) that's one thing that I do. Um, And then also really having a plan for certain things. So dinner is my huge thing or eating in general is my huge thing. Um, Because really with food, it takes up so much time and energy of your day that you really don't realize it until it's too late. Deciding what you're going to eat for dinner at five o'clock is usually not a good plan. But if that is you, um, I do have tips and resources for that on my platforms. But in general, making sure that you at least have a loose plan is something that gives me a lot of time freedom. I'm, I am a chef, but I don't cook every day. And I don't spend hours in the kitchen when I'm cooking, because I make sure that I have things that are either quick to prepare, or I have some kind of mindset, of, or not mindset, I have kind of mapped out Loosely, what are we going to have today? And so it's not becoming decision fatigue when it's the end of the day and the baby's screaming and my husband's hungry and I'm hungry, because that's when you make worse decisions about your food, which affect your health, which affect everything else. So having a plan for dinner in place or having a plan for your meals in place, even if it's a loose plan, even if it's we're ordering out today, that's a plan. That's fine. That's acceptable. Um, And then my last tip would be. Give yourself some grace. And this is something that I've had to tell myself many times because going back to that first tip of not trying to do it all, when we make this huge list and these huge expectations and then we don't finish them, then we get upset with ourselves. And honestly, the things that were on that list, half of them we weren't really meant to do in the first place. Some of them could have been done by somebody else. Um, if you have kids that are older than five, really older than three or four, they can help out around the house. It might not be the way that you want it to be, but they can still help. They can, um, organize their, they can put their toys back. My son already does that. And he's one and a half. Uh, I have to help him of course, but, um, he puts things back. He makes sure he closes his baby gate, even if you were walking through it, but he's going to close that gate. <laughs> um, and so just putting more on the kids, putting more responsibility on them, um, helps her for you letting your spouse or your mate help you with things is another thing I see a lot of moms don't do they're like oh he's not gonna do it right or she's not gonna do it right so I'm not gonna look. does it get done like does, are the kids fed and they have clothes on I mean half dressed, whatever that's fine like they're still alive they're good okay well then that's fine like if if it's something that is not going to be a detriment to them or a detriment to your household see what other things you can let go because from talking with moms i find that they say their husband doesn't help but a lot of times it's because there's not a space for them to help or there's not some kind of support system for them to help because the mom is like oh i'll just do it myself or you're not going to do it right and when you get told that constantly then they're not going to offer anymore because they know that you are not going to accept the way that they do it and that's something i've had to learn as well um to just let let us somebody else help you. And even if it's like outside help, if you're like, I really can't trust my husband or he's really not trying to help. Um, maybe hire a service. And you might think, okay, that's not affordable. Is there something else you can cut out on? Food, once again, keep going back to food. <laughs> food is our top three household expense, at least in the United States. So it's your mortgage, your rent, transportation is number two, and then food. And of those, food is the most variable. You have the most control over that. Your mortgage and your rent are probably not gonna change month to month. Your transportation, same thing. is probably not going to change month to month. Your food can drastically change based upon how you are eating if you decide to order out a lot. And so maybe if you just eat out one less order of like Uber Eats or something like that, that could be a week or something like that. That could be enough for you to hire a housekeeper, even if they just come once a month to do like some deep cleaning that you are already not doing because you're exhausted. Um, But if it's something that is worth your well-being, I think it's worth it to consider.
2: That was so helpful. That's a lot of things for people just to consider. I mean, it's simple, but it's things that we really don't pay attention to nearly enough or we, you know, we do what we've always done. And that's kind of the issue. And you get the same results that you had
1: before. And you're like, why, Mike? Why is this still happening? Because we're not trying anything new. And I, I think that's something, especially generationally, our moms and our grandmas were like, they did it all. Like, they we were probably the first generation where our moms were like working outside the house. They were also cooking however many meals a day. They made sure we either had lunch money or had like a home cooked meal, quote unquote, for lunch or whatever. And they were working. And so, and they had kids and then we're like, I mean, that's cool, but I can't do all that right now. (laughs) Cause a lot of us have like side hustles. We have secondary businesses and it's just a different time period. And so there's a, a shame that comes with that of like, for moms that are like, oh, I can't do it like they did it. You don't need to do it like they did it because you're not them. And if that doesn't work for you, that's fine. Like your kids are not going to love you any less. They're not going to be raised any differently necessarily because of your inability to cook them three meals a day. Like that's, that's not what it's about. It's about having the energy and having the time to be able to be present with your family in order to build those memories. And because we're worrying about all these other things and doing things that we were not called to do, then we end up busted
2: and exhausted. Absolutely, yes. Let everybody help in the way they can. Yes.
0: (laughs) Receive the help
2: right my husband (laughs) will go grocery shopping. and he comes back with like a lot of the prepared meals and I'm like he goes to the grocery store and he needs to see a meal right (laughs) I see ingredients and I can put them together yes in a different way and I'm like okay I'm gonna let that slide this week you went to the grocery store you did the thing right but I gotta yeah
1: (laughs) right and so one thing you can help him with is give him a list or like we do online grocery shopping and so I was doing that even before the pandemic because I don't have time to go grocery shopping um and so (laughs) giving him like my husband will pick up the order I'll order it and then he'll go pick it up and then he'll unload the groceries
2: yeah that's helpful very helpful yeah
1: this other week he Lysoled the asparagus with wipes so that is one thing that happened but that's okay and I had to catch myself (laughs) and I was like okay I'll just clean them thoroughly Uh, I'll re-clean them from how you clean them but I appreciate you because he did it and so and the same thing applies with your kids when they're trying to help in their own little way you want to kind of check yourself before you get mad or get upset with them because they feel like they want to contribute and so you can channel that contribution once you kind of get it going so yeah
0: right it's just making me think again of like birth preferences like here are my preferences here are the things I would like here's the help that I need with that and (laughs) there's a couple things on that preference list where I'm like no we will not stray away from this so I got those (laughs) yes and
1: it's it's okay to be like right it's okay to tell people how you want them to help you right and but I say do that after they they've helped in their own way. Cause then they can get discouraged. But yes, I totally agree when you're birthing, I need you to listen, whatever I'm saying, because right now the priority is getting this baby out. And so that's, that's a, a caveat and a different experience. Yes. You can say whatever you want. Then
2: <laughs> You are excused.
0: Right. <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much. There are so many gems that people can take from this to get all, they got a whole book they can go get right now. <laughs> Um, meal plan and prep recipes, all of that. So uh, resource for all the things incredibly thankful for you sharing your story. Um, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. Oh. And one other thing, when you Mm -hmm. get the book, I also created a bonus website for moms. And so, um, inside the book it's referenced a place where you can get uh, postpartum doula recommendations. I've got feeding recommendations for you and your baby, um therapy resources just anything that I felt like I once again this is kind of selfish but once again what I felt like I needed or what new moms needed during those first couple months or even years because postpartum is really two years um after you give birth so yes
0: try we to say here postpartum's forever oh, so. okay for
1: life <laughs> <All
0: right. laughs> we're always receiving all the postpartum gems we're, okay, perfect. we're in it forever yes <laughs> That's what mommy brain feels like. So yes. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. No thank problem listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Today's episode is sponsored by March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. As part of their annual observation of this day, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. Join the conversation about World Birth Defects Day by following hashtag best for you, best for baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash B-S-I-C.